My guest today has spent more than 15 years in tech sales, spending the majority of his career at Salesforce and IBM. He is currently at Asana as a strategic enterprise AE, working with the top banks and insurers across the country. Widely recognized as a master prospector and hunter, he loves helping AEs and SDRs be better at what they do, find fulfilling careers in sales, and often shares this advice on LinkedIn. Introducing Salman Mohiuddin. Welcome to Winning Streaks. I'm your host, Tanvir Mustafa, and every week I get deep into the stories and strategies of experts, champions, business moguls, and industry leaders to find out how you can win the day and win at life. If you're committed to never settling for the status quo and consistently challenging yourself to new heights, then this is the show for you. In return, I commit to bringing you insightful, practical, and no BS conversations that will help you create your next big win. Hey, Salman, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Tanvir. I appreciate the time. Looking forward I'm, to it. I'm really excited to have you on. I love your, your content on LinkedIn. And one of the major themes consistently that I see you post on LinkedIn about is finding a fulfilling career in sales, finding the right job in, in sales. When looking for that job, what are the primary things that a salesperson should be looking for uh, when they're trying to break into a new company or a new sales position? It's a good question, Tavir. I want to share a story with you. A few years back, several years back, you know, I, I was comfortable in the job I was in at that moment. A company reached out to me and they said, hey, listen, we want you. We want you to join our company. Would you be interested? And it was compelling because the offer was very high. The compensation package, the OTE, the stock options, you name it. So I decided to pursue it without really digging deep into the product and you know what they were all about in the industry that they served. I knew a little bit about it, but what piqued my interest was that big bump in pay. So I went through the interview cycles and I decided to leave my job at that time for this opportunity. And it was a wonderful opportunity because I got to cover some large accounts that which I wanted to throughout my career. I got, it was literally a significant bump in pay and OTE. And when I joined the job, it, it was all fine and dandy. It was great, you know, the enablement, the opportunity, the people. But in my first few months, I realized something was missing, something about how I was able to articulate the value to customers. I felt that after doing my due diligence and learning more about the product, I didn't really feel belief in what I was selling. I didn't have conviction in what I was selling. And what, what I found is that, you know, I could talk through it with my customers and my actions, but... You know, eventually my customers saw through it. You can fake it for a while. Ultimately, I saw through, saw through it. And I found that I didn't have true belief and conviction in what I'm selling. And what I mean by that is that the number one thing that I found that you should be looking for, and I realized that after this experience, is that you need to have belief in what you're selling, meaning the value that you're providing to your customers, you have to believe that you're truly building value. Uh, you know, using the solution helps out a lot as well. And I found that I didn't have that conviction. And I can guarantee you, Tanvir, if you don't have conviction in what you're selling, if you don't truly believe in what you're selling, number one, that you won't enjoy what you're doing, you won't wake up excited in the morning, and you won't be successful in the long term. And that's what I found. The primary thing I look for is conviction in what you sell. You can have the best leadership in the world. Mm -hmm. You can have the greatest coworkers and culture which are really key pillars. But if you don't have conviction, you won't enjoy what you're doing. Very well said. What do you think it is about conviction 
that changes the way you sell? Like, what do you think it does differently that not having conviction can't do? Yeah, I, th- I think it's more of the way you articulate the value to your customers, because uh, I'm all about showcasing the value. You know, as we talk through this, one of the key pillars of my playbook is when you prospect, you don't talk about your fancy features and capabilities. You don't talk about the ROI. Your prospects care about the problems. And if you're confident that you know your product can solve significant business problems that customers and prospects are facing today, you're going to be able to believe in that. You're going to be able to say that with conviction. And customers are smart enough. Prospect, you know this from your experience, right? To be our sales force. Prospects are smart enough. Executives are smart enough if you're just you know, saying it for the sake of saying it or if you truly believe it. And that's mm-hmm. why I believe it's most important. Yeah, absolutely. And as you know, at Salesforce, we have like a whole wheel of solutions that we can offer up to a customer. And I found at certain times, there were certain ones that like, I could speak to, but like, I just didn't know enough to have conviction about it. But then when I did my research, when I actually looked into like, okay, these are the case studies, these are the success stories. This is actually what this particular solution on, you know, that, that I'm normally not exposed to, but this is what it can solve for the customer. That's when I build that passion for it. And that ability that, that conviction, as you say, even in tonality, in speaking with the customer about it, it just, it changes the game and it makes me more excited to sell because I know that I can solve the problem that I'm hearing. And I'll add one more point to that, uh, Tavir. I, 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 you're right. I post about it a lot because I truly believe, truly believe in it. But a lot of folks, like dozens of folks have reached out to me after I have made posts like that saying that, hey, that resonated with me because I'm not sure I believe in what I'm doing. Like I'm just going through the cycles. I understand the product, but I just don't have conviction in what I'm doing and therefore I'm not enjoying what I do. So it is resonating and a lot of people face it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I definitely think that one of the ways to help with like, you're not always going to have conviction for, for what you sell. It's great to find that conviction right away. So like you might get, get into a company and there's a lot going on, right? You're ramping, you're getting your sales training, you're getting your, your tools and so on and so forth. So you, I mean, hopefully bootcamp helps you with that conviction, that first ramp period, but talking to the customer success team, talking to, you know, other top performing sales reps, talking to your customers and just, you know, asking them, Hey, why did you buy this solution in the first place? I think is a great way of unraveling where that conviction can come from. But as you, as you referred to earlier, you know, you sort of jumped ship because there was, you know, someone reached out to you with a high paying offer and I've, you know, I've seen this many times where, you know, someone will get a high paying offer and that'll get them to move from, you know, a good situation to not the best situation, but a higher pay. Um, that's probably one of the mistakes that I see the most, but you deal with a lot of people who, and you help a lot of people who are looking for a job in sales. What do you think are like the, is like the biggest mistake or the top three mistakes that people are making when seeking out uh, a new a new sales role. Yeah, and, and you talked about this uh, previously, Tabir. You said that, hey, talk internally to your customers, to your customer success team. But I'd say you should do that even before ex- accepting the offer. Hmm. So one thing I encourage people to do is when you pursue an opportunity or if you get an interview process or somebody reaches out, do your due diligence. It's on you because if you go into the role and you find out, wow, you know, this is a whole new world. Sometimes it can be on you. So the first thing you can do, number one, is reach out to AEs, 
uh, CSMs there and get the lay of the land. I would even argue, reach out to people who've left the organization uh, recently. And you can do that through LinkedIn if you just do some digging and find out who those individuals are to get a transparent view of what the culture and the product is all about. Get a transparent view. Uh, number two is I would uh, do some research on the competitive market. So there's great tools like Owler, like G2, like Gartner, where you can see where the product stands and the company stands in the market compared to its competitors. Are you going to feel confident if you're going through to an inferior company that is not, you know, well known in the market or, you know, not in the magic quadrant, for example. So a lot of those things are on you to do that due diligence to know, hey, I'm going to be able to sell this because I truly believe it's the best product in its space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's some really good advice and, and really good way. Like people, the recruiting process, I find it's a two way street, right? You got to, you're applying for the job, you're, uh, they're interviewing you, they're trying to get an understanding of why you'd be a good candidate, but you also have to do the due diligence, as you keep mentioning, to make sure that that company is a good fit for you, not just vice versa, where you're a good fit for the company. It's like, it's got to be hand in hand, I find when, when looking for a sales role. And I, I just don't think that's taken into account enough when, when people are looking for a job. I know, you know, some companies will have really strict requirements on certain things. Like even like, uh, I, I know somebody who had posted about, you know, needing to work on the weekends and things of that nature. And they were ready to take the role, but it was like, if that doesn't suit you, then, then don't do it. Like you don't need to be at the beck and call of, of a company that, that has those needs. If you know what I mean? Exactly. Totally yeah. right. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy, but I'm glad that we're, you, there's people out there uh, like you putting more awareness out in the, into the market. And when it comes to, you know, salespeople going through their careers, we all face ups and downs, right? We all face these, this roller coaster of emotions perhaps that we go through. And I know that you at one time, you know, we're on a, we're on a pip and you were able to sort of go through this journey uh, to get out of that, but you have some very great, stories and lessons from that experience. Can you talk a little bit about first what a PIP is for those of them, for those listeners that don't know, and then what that experience was like and why, how mindset played into it going from there? Sure. I've been through a couple of obstacles uh, or several obstacles, I should say, throughout my sales career. And it, it, it's been, it's been tough because everyone knows if you're in sales and, and you know this, Tanvir, it's full of highs and lows. You can have great days, you can have bad days. You can have great months, you can have bad months. You have great years and have some bad years. And that's just the process because if you're not used to that type of atmosphere and that culture, then maybe sales is not right for you. I've rarely met, I don't think I've ever met someone who's hit like 10 years in a row, 40 quarters in a row. It just doesn't happen. Right? Right. It's just not the nature of, uh, of, of sales. Right. But I've been through obstacles and you know, I've been through a layoff early on in my career. And to your point, I've been through a PIP. And what a PIP is, it's a performance improvement plan. So organizations are based on the length of time you spent within the organization, if they feel that you haven't uh, performed, basically hit your numbers in a nutshell, over a certain period of time, maybe two or three quarters in a row, they've seen a consistent uh, lack of you know, um, uh, performance in terms of your numbers, they'll decide to put you on a PIP uh, after some sort of coaching and enablement. And a lot of people will argue that a PIP is just like a, a way out the door, just saying, hey, you know, good luck. And some of them, some people may feel that they put unrealistic metrics in those PIP. Uh, but in any case, I was put on a PIP. And this was, you know, kind of midway through my career. I really didn't know how to react to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great leader by the way at that time that really uh, gave me a heads up that this was coming. And I felt kind of drawn back because I thought to myself in, in full honesty here at Tinveer is I questioned, is sales really right for me? Is this the right career path for me? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should look at marketing roles. You know, I graduated with an economics degree. Maybe I should look at finance jobs uh, with the government or things like that. And I really got me thinking like, is it not right for me? But then, you know, I, I think there's three things that really helped me get over it. Number mm-hmm. one was determination. Two was resilience. And three, the most important for me is patience. You need to be patient. And I'm a big believer that with every difficulty comes ease. After every difficult, everybody goes through challenges. I don't care who you are. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel if you're patient and resilient. So what I did with that PIP is that I said, you know what? I'm not going to let this set me back. I'm going to be determined. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at all the deals that I worked in the past and find out why I lost those deals. And then I'm going to put together a playbook that I can use to be successful in my future endeavors. So I started building a playbook all the way from starting to prospect into new accounts, all the way to closing new logos and everything in between. And I use that playbook to this day. And you know what, Tamir? I've been pretty damn successful using it. You have been pretty damn successful use, using it. That's why we're, we're talking. And it's, it's great to hear that patience pays. One interesting thing that I, that I found just a little funny about, about the story is that, you know, you mentioned that you, you questioned if sales was right for you, right? And I grew up, or at least for the last 10 years or so, like being like, sales is going to be my thing, right? Sales is going to be my niche. And then last year, I had a really great year. I actually had a, a, a really great career year. And I asked myself the same question because I didn't feel the fulfillment that I thought I was going to. And I, I was like, man, if, if I'm not getting what I want here, like is, is sales even cut up for me? But what I like that both of us did was we leaned in instead of taking ourselves out. You know, we leaned into the process. We leaned into to what it was we were trying to accomplish and trying to diagnose the problem as opposed to run away from the problem. So, you know, huge kudos to you for that. What is it specifically that you did to get out? I know you said you have a playbook. What are maybe like the top three to five lessons from that playbook that someone can take if they're in that situation right now and they're struggling? Yeah, I would say one of the key lessons is I'll, I'll show two or three things. Number one is making sure you have the right prospecting strategy. So whether you're covering new logo accounts where you're trying to target new logos or with existing accounts, make sure you build a point of view. And I know something a Salesforce they use a lot is building a point of view. <laughs> and what does that mean? What does a point of view mean? It means really understanding your customer, mm-hmm. their industry, and typical business challenges that personas within your account face on a daily basis. And that takes a little bit of research. You have to know your competition. You have to know your industry. You have to know your customer. You start, And you start with a problem. You don't start with a solution. You don't start with, hey, we have all these fancy capabilities and features. Hey, we delivered a 50% ROI to some of your key competitors. No. Mm-hmm. Customers don't care about all those fancy features and capabilities and ROI. Customers, prospects care about their business problems and how the heck they're going to solve them. So your message should be, hey, you know, hey, I saw your CEO uh, talk about growing the business in EMEA by 20% next year. That, that's great. But, you know, some of the typical challenges we're finding folks in your role face are X, Y, and Z. And hey, by the way, a couple of your industry peers are actually leveraging our platform today to help overcome those challenges and, you know, align to some of the CEO priorities you're looking to achieve. So 
building that point of view and having that consistent message is important. Number two is throughout my playbook is what are some of the things you can do to mitigate risk in your deals? You know, mm. an excellent example, which is a top three pillar in my playbook is, and this is something I didn't do early on in my career, and it cost me a lot of deals to wear, is driving executive alignment early on in your cycle. Because how many times have we been in sales cycles where a CIO or a CLO executive comes down in the last minute and says, no, we're not doing this. And you're yeah. like, well, where did this person come from? Executive alignment is important. It could be as simple as asking the customer, hey, listen, um, you know, who is the executive that's driving this initiative? And if they give you the name, would you be open to, in the spirit of a potential partnership, would you be open uh, with the call between my VP and your VP to discuss that? And I think having that executive alignment early on is really, really important. So those are a couple of things that are really important at the last, it's, it's a pretty lengthy playbook that I'm uh, building out actually, but uh, it, it really helps me in, in my cycles. Yeah, those, those are great tips. And I know for me personally, especially the first part, building the point of view, actually really hard because coming from SDR, BDR, in a mode always, or I've been in a mode always where it's like, I got to go, go, go all the time. Like I got to be picking up the phone. I got to be making dials. I got a cold call. I got to send emails. But what I realized is that in order to be a true strategic seller, you really got to take the step back and do take the time to do that research and take the time to like put together those assets of case studies and stories and quotes and, you know, things of that nature. But it's like, it's almost like I'm always battling with myself because if I find that on a, let's say like a Tuesday morning or a Wednesday morning, I'm like in the morning doing research as opposed to like making cold calls for two hours, it's like a, I feel conflict internally, but it's necessary because it's how you prepare yourself. You prepare yourself to have a plan of attack um, and approach, you know, your sales cycle with a lot more strategy, as you said. So really, really great advice there. I want to go back to your, your origin story. It's been, you know, 10 years from SDR to Enterprise AE. First of all, how does that feel? <laughs> and then second of all, tell me about how you progressed through that journey and some of the main lessons that you learned throughout uh, that time. Yeah, sure. So let me, let me scale it back for a second and talk a little bit about like what got me into sales because throughout my high school and university career at Tinbeer, you know, I started off selling newspaper subscriptions for the Toronto Star door to door, like two and a half years, just knocking on people's doors. So I know how to take rejection. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. <laughs> it, that led to various telemarketing roles, fundraising, selling phone plans and all that for a sub, uh, sort of fun stuff. And, you know, I had a really had knack for sales, but, you know, traditionally, and, and you may know this as well, like, uh, you know, my, my, my parents are from India and my mom said, hey, listen, we want you to become a doctor or engineer or a lawyer. Hey, you got three choices. It's up to you. Yep, <laughs> you know you know about that right and i was just like you know it's just not my passion mom like i want to get into sales i want to get into tech sales i've been doing it for a while and she said okay you know just just make us proud but you know so she wasn't the happiest about that but i did it and thankfully uh out of school i got a sdr role at ibm back in 2006 and it was wonderful to get into a large innovative organization where they had world-class enablement I was able to learn from some tenured people there that have been there 15, 20 years, the big blue IBM learned so much. And, you know, the SDR role back then in 2006, there was no Salesforce, there was no Zoom info, there was no tools like Chorus or Gong or, you know, all these different tools you could use. It was basically, hey, you're calling gatekeepers and you're trying to get in touch with these executives. And it wasn't easy. Now, on the plus side, there wasn't as much competition, you know, 
with, with a lot of vendors and people had a little more free time, but it was mostly phone driven and email. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I fought through that and I was successful and I got promoted to an AE role. But my goal, Tenweer, is was to get to enterprise sales. I wanted to source, sell to the big banks and insurers and transformative organizations in Canada. And I just didn't have that ability because, you know, I was, it was in layoffs. You know, I was in a multitude of commercial AE roles and I really wanted to get to that stage. So back to your original point, it's important to be patient. It's important to understand that instant gratification is not always the case, that it shouldn't be the case. It took me 10 years to move from an SDR role into multiple AE roles to ultimately get to enterprise sales, true enterprise sales. Mm-hmm. And it took determination. It took resilience. It took patience. It took being laid off. It took a being on a pip. It took building out a playbook. So, you know, if you want to get that email reply right away, be patient from an executive standpoint. People want to close those new logos really quickly. Be patient. Things take time. We live in a world of instant gratification. So it's important to be patient, be resilient. Thankfully, very grateful that I was able to do so and be in the enterprise space for the last uh, several years. Congratulations, first of all, because that's an incredible journey. Second of all, this is going to seem like a very weird question, but you just listed off all the things you had to go through to go from SDR to Enterprise AE. Was it worth it? Yes, 100% yes, Tanvir, because I'm a big believer. Like My faith teaches me to be patient in everything that you do. It could be family. It could be work. It could be personal. It could be health. I'm a big believer that if you're patient, there's going to be a reward at the end of the tunnel. I believe that I stick by that. You're going to be going through ups and downs. Everybody goes through ups and downs. You know, I, I complain about little things here and there, but people go through worse things than I do. And I was able to get rewarded with that. I love it. You mentioned faith and you and I are both Muslim. It's Ramadan. We're fasting. You know, we're doing this with which part with parched throats, but we'll be fine. You have posted on LinkedIn a couple of times about the relationship between drinking and sales and how that's been brought up throughout your career by different, you know, uh, customers, uh, colleagues that, you know, Hey, you know, if you don't drink, you can't be successful in sales or like, I don't know how you ever made it through sales without ever drinking. And so would love your take on, on that and what you've experienced, first of all, from, from that regard. And then, you know, how you, how you see it. Sure. Great point. And yes, we are fasting, but we're going to get through this and it's all good. <laughs> it's, all, it's all, it's, it's amazing. But um, yeah, great, great, great point to be here. And what I would say is that, you know, when, when I started sales and in tech sales in 2006, you know, back then, even, even now, so there was a lot of that, you know, hustle and bro culture where if you didn't drink, you weren't part of the club, right? You just weren't, you know, I remember uh, my first holiday dinner uh, being a professional seller. Uh, I was sitting there and uh, everyone was ordering their, their drinks or adult beverages. And I ordered a Coke and the person next to me who was, who was one of the AEs and I was an SDR at that time said, oh, you're a rookie, come on. And I was even told uh, afterwards in various settings that, hey, you know, I don't know if you can be sex- successful in this field with, without being a culture fit and drinking. So, and people, you know, give me a funny look for drinking a glass of Coke at a happy hour. So there's been a lot of instances like that, but I'm someone that stays true to their values. And I just want to call out that I have nothing against people that drink, you know, I'm in sales, you know, I can't have nothing. I'm not going to close any deals if I don't, you know, be with people like that. that. So I don't have anything against people who drink, like, you know, totally understand that. 
but I'm a person that stays true to their values and I'm not going to give up my values just to be a successful seller. And I'm a big believer that sales is not about going out and drinking. Some people picture, oh, you're in sales. <laughs> this is a true story. Somebody reached out to me uh, a couple of months ago and they said, I never believed that you were in drinking because you know, I thought you were the guy that, like, how could this guy go all the way to enterprise sales without having a drink? And I sat down, I chatted with him. I said, hey, I'm an example of that. I stay true to my values. It's important to me. And I told him sales is not about drinking. It's about building trusted relationships. It's about solving problems. It's about aligning to C-level value. It's about, you know, really building that trusted relationship with people. And you don't need to chug down a couple of cold ones to do that. You need yep. to be transparent. You need to build that relationship. So, you know, I, I think things have gotten a lot better because um, I've actually, Tavir, spoken to quite a few folks that have reached out to me over the last few months because of those posts. I've spoken to at least four or five people that have been sober for the last, uh, you know, five to seven years. And they, they said, thank you, because it's not just a religious, uh, you know, reason. People may not drink for because they're sober for a multitude of reasons, health reasons. So it's important to establish a culture of diversity and inclusion that doesn't have to be centered on alcohol all the time, especially in sales. Yeah, well said. It, it's like you said, it doesn't come down to whether you're a drink or not. It comes down to whether you can solve my problem. Like, can you solve my problem? Are you a good person to do business with? Do we have common ground aside from drinking? And I'm sure that we do. You know, there's there's all of that involved. And I'm very happy that to hear that, you know, you, you stuck to your values, you, you led with integrity and um, you're totally right. You know, companies need to, to include more diversity and inclusion to their culture and, and can't promote a culture like that because frankly, you're turning away all-stars like yourself from, from the company. So very, very good way to, to put it. That's perhaps one of the things you would, uh, someone would want to ask about in an interview with a company. But I know that you're a freaking genius when it comes to, you know, interviewing at companies, you have a really high success rate. I would love to learn your playbook for joining a company. What are the three things? We talked about conviction. We talked about networking with people, but like, what's the playbook to getting a role? And then how do you successfully execute the sales process involved in interviewing? So going from, you know, first meeting to interview to second interview to close and so on and so forth. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll definitely give you some nuggets. I'm not going to give away too much because I'm actually building out an interview playbook. Oh, well. Uh, You'll hear about that later. But um, yeah, no, great point. And I want to share with you, like early on in my career, Tabir, I sucked at interviews. I was so bad. I was just like, what am I doing? Mock discovery calls, you know, not being able to ask the right questions. My first few years, I just failed. But I'm a big believer, as most people, in order to be successful, you got to fail first. You got to learn from them. So I learned from all those experiences. Where was I lacking? What could I do better? So we talk about the playbook for sales. Let's talk about a little bit about the playbook for interviews. Even before, you know, having an interview, you need to get an interview in the first place, right? How do you do that? I'm a big believer that the days of applying online, submitting your resume and playing the waiting game are over. That is over, especially if you're in sales. And I would argue for any other role because you're competing with hundreds of other people where HR is just looking through a quick scan of keywords and, your resume is going to recycle a bit. What you can do is leverage your prospecting like you would do in a sales, just like reaching out to a leader. So for example, you know, see if uh, they're hiring for an SDRA or have a list of 10 or 15 tech companies or companies in general you like to be a part of. 
go to their job search page and careers page to see if there's opportunities that fit your qualifications. And then use LinkedIn to find out who those potential leaders are that are hiring for those roles, whether in their SDR uh, manager or a VP of sales that are hiring for AEs and uncover who those people are and then reach out to them two ways, either cold call them or email them. And a simple cold call them, permission-based opening. Hey, Bob, hey, you know, um, this is, a, this is Salman. You have a brief moment. I promise to be brief. Hey, notice that you are, uh, you know, growing the uh, North American business uh, quite heavily. Your CRO talked about, you know, delivering 20% year to year growth. I understand you're hiring AEs to help propel that growth. Here are three reasons I believe I'd be a good fit. Number one, you've closed 25 new logos the last two years. Number two, I've built a playbook to really drive better prospecting techniques. Three, I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and call an executive, just like I'm doing right now. You know, could we set aside a few minutes next week to share some more thoughts? You can put that in a cold call. You can put that in a LinkedIn message, send it to them. I guarantee you will differentiate yourself from the pack and increase your chances as an interview if you do that. So I'll pause there before I get into the next steps, but any, any thoughts on that? I think that's genius. I think immediately you stand out one because you're showing you've got the muscle. Like that is the, the same sort of framework I use when I'm calling up C-level executives or, or VP plus on you know, cold calling them and, and trying to get them meeting with them on the calendar. So you're very much showing the skill set and demonstrating. It's like a live demo of what you're able to do for the company. Um, and certainly, you know, stand up, stand outside the, the resume pile. So I think, I think that's great. Yeah. And just a couple of more items in terms of the interview itself. And by the way, that permission-based opening, I want to give a shout out to Bilal Batrawi, who you know has come up with that permission-based opening. So thank you, Bilal, for that uh, tip. But in, in the interview process, I think some of the key differentiators to put yourself aside uh, from the pack is, you know, I've been thankful enough to have about an 80% success rate in interviews, moving from one stage to the next. And the reason is not just that, but... I'll share a couple of nuggets. Number one is that I don't really start interviews or even meetings with like, hey, how's that weather tent beer in Toronto today? I'm in Toronto. I know how it is, but how's the weather going? You know, how's your weekend? Be different. Impress the hiring manager right out of the gate. Uh, hey, Tanvir, you know, I, you know, I had a chance to read your CEO's report about growing the business by 20% last year uh, or last quarter in EMEA. Congrats on that. They're like, wow, this person actually did their homework. Secondly, Build your point of view. We talk about a point of view in sales. Build a point of view. Hey, even if they don't ask, hey, I have a three-step prospect technique I wanted to share with you that's made me maybe pretty successful closing a whole bunch of new logos last year. Mind if I share that with you? Walk through that with them. This is your chance to impress them. You, you have to. Uh, don't, care, don't worry about being cocky. You need to showcase your skills. The next point, which is a key differentiator, I do it for every interview since I, the majority of interviews I've been in the last 11 years, that's helped with that 80% success rate. Build out a territory plan. I actually posted about this a couple of times on LinkedIn recently. Build out a territory plan and whip it out in your interview and just be, hey, listen, you know, I wanted to share my 30, 60, 90, six-month plan of how I will attack the territory. Mind if I share it with you? 99% of the time, they're going to be like, sure, share it with me. You walk through it in a couple of minutes. You build out a template that talks about what you're going to do in the first 30 days, 60 days, six months. Throw down metrics, how you're going to build pipeline, close deals you will wow the heck out of them, I guarantee you. And then the last point, which you should do, and there's a lot more nuggets I can share, but I'd be giving my way at my playbook if I did that. <laughs> the last one is you have to close your interviewer 
you have to, you have to, and I can't tell you how many people don't do this. And I know it from experience, close them. All we do is close in sales. You close the deal, you close the demo, you close the next step. Why should an interview be any different to me? Tell me that. So the question that I like to use, and I actually posted about this on LinkedIn a couple of months ago or last month, and everybody shared their closing questions. I think mine is the best, but that's just me. <laughs> it's, you know, based on what you've heard from me today, is there any reason why you wouldn't hire me for this role? I guarantee you every sales leader will appreciate that. I agree. At the end of each of my interviews, I always say, you know, based on what I presented here today, at this time, are there any reservations about my candidacy for the position? It's a fancier way of saying what you just said. So maybe I'll use yours because it's simpler and simpler is always better. It's, it's always widely appreciated. You know, they'll, they'll say, oh, it's, it gets a good laugh too, because it's like, oh, good, good one. Good sales closer type line. So I, that, that, that's great. That, and I think it's very helpful. One thing that I've noticed in interviews, particularly in sales that they look for, and, but this is across the board in recruiting is the type of questions that you bring to the table as a candidate. And they really like, in my conversations with managers, they're really looking for that. Like, what questions are you asking at the end of the interview to set yourself apart? What sort of questions should someone come to the table with about a role that they're looking to jump into? That's a great question. What I would do is drive relevancy and personalization into your interview questions because you want to impress them throughout the entire interview that you know their business, you know their industry, you know their competitors. No, there's a couple of nuggets I can share with regards to that. One question I like to ask is about their competitive differentiator and bring up a couple of competitors in their space. You can go to owler.com. It's a great resource to if you type in a company name, it'll showcase the top five competitors. Bring that up and say, hey, hey, listen to beer. I, I understand that some of your top competitors in North America include a company X, Y, and Z. You know, given your place in the market today, what do you feel are your top two competitive differentiators? And then when they say that, you share your point of view. Be like, do you mind if I share what I believe might be a key differentiator for you? And you can do that. Do your due diligence, do your homework, go on Gartner, go on G2, read customer reviews. If you come with a point of view that you can share a competitive differentiator, even though maybe they may know about it, that gives you a leg up. That's a great question to ask. Another one that I would consider asking is that you want to find out if the leader that you're going to be working for is a good coach. And we know that great leaders are rare. The ones that are good mentors, coaches that encourage you, that don't micromanage. And a good way to ask that question is, you know, finding out how many individuals haven't hit quota last year. Hey, out of your team of 10, how many individuals did not hit quota? And what would you recommend that they would have done when they joined the role so they could mitigate that risk? So they can share some thoughts about, hey, this is what I would do differently that they didn't do. Here's how I would help wrap myself up to make sure I've set myself up for success. Look for answers where it shows that they're coachable because I think in addition to conviction, having a great leader is important as well. And you'll be able to uncover if they're a good coach or not. Mm -hmm. At what point in that pro process do you bring up compensation? Because in sales, especially with commission involved, it's like, do you, how, how deep do you go through the pro process before you transparently bring up compensation? And then how do you have that conversation? Yeah, it's, it's a delicate area, but I think that ballpark has to be done early on in the cycle because the last thing you want to do, Tim Beer, is waste your time because I've been at in interview processes in the past where I made some mistakes early on in my career where I wasn't aware that we were just 
thousands, tens of thousands of dollars apart in our understanding of what I expected and what they thought they yep. were expecting. Yeah. And I think starting off with the recruiter call is so important. And this is a great point as well that you bring up, not just compensation, but in order to get past the recruiter or HR, you got to impress the heck out of them as well. Do these same, not share a territory plan, but show them that you know them, share some expertise, share a point of view about your prospecting and bring up the compensation discussion. Because the last thing you want is to not share a ballpark and knowing that they're going to be way off. So I think that conversation discussions should start earlier rather than later and bringing up a ballpark figure with the recruiter or even a hiring manager early on uh, will save time on both sides. That's amazing. That's great. That's great advice. I don't want to give away your entire playbook um, (laughs) because I'm really looking forward to it, but what are like the final things maybe post interview that somebody can do to like lock it in, like, like get that, get that deal closed after they've ended the interview. Yeah, number one, I would say is send that territory plan along with a thank you note. So send a territory plan separately to each of the individuals you meet with. And I have this, and and a lot of folks have been reaching out to me for interview tips, uh, dozens. I'm behind in DMs on LinkedIn, but that's another story. And I think it's important that you share that territory plan with each and every individual that you're meeting with. I don't care if it's an AE, I don't care if it's a VP of sales or the C-level. CEO they're meeting with, you share that territory plan and come with a customized note that says a thank you note with three bullet points. You know, I'm all about structuring emails, keep it short, sweet, and to the point. If you have to scroll in an email, especially in the prospecting or a thank you note, when you get in on your iPhone or Samsung, uh, if you have to scroll, it's too long. Keep it short and to the point. Hey, had a pleasure spending time with you. Here's a territory plan that I reviews. Enjoyed our conversation. Maybe share a snippet. Hey, enjoyed it. Your, your thoughts on, you know, building the North American enterprise market. Again, here are three reasons and bullet points. I think I'd be a good fit. One, two, three, bam. You send that out to each individual. You send the territory plan. Don't get ghosted if you do that. <laughs> crazy, crazy valuable. Someone, everyone listening follows this playbook because he just gave it to you for free. So, you know, execute this and, and you'll get that job. You'll get that interview and, and you'll you'll find yourself in your dream position. Um, I will so say to that is that. <laughs> There's a lot more nuggets in those interview tips. So I didn't give away everything. I just gave a couple of things away. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So when it comes out, we'll be sure to link it. We'll be, able, we'll be sure to share it with the, uh, with the crew here, with the Winning Streaks crew. But Salman, where can people interact with you, engage with you, get to know you better, and, and uh, you know, find out when these playbooks are going to be ready? LinkedIn is my place. Uh, Salman Mohideen, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, love to be connected with you. Love to engage with you on your posts and my posts. So uh, look out for some exciting things in the next uh, while. <laughs> Amazing. And I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. Uh, Salman, what is one final piece of advice you would give to my listeners to help them achieve their next big win? I think it's basically the theme that we've been discussing. Two things, conviction and patience. If you're doing something, make sure you have full belief into your why and why you're doing it, what's going to bring you value and make sure you have full belief in what you're doing. Number two, things don't happen overnight. Instant gratification, we're living in a world of it. Be patient. I guarantee you that things will get tough in sales. Nobody has a, 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 a peak and doesn't have a valley after that. It just happens. It's part of life. After every difficulty comes ease, be patient and you'll be successful. Beautiful. Thanks for joining me on Winning Streak, Salman. Really happy about about this episode and, and can't wait to put it out there. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Thanks a lot, Tim, here.